Welcome to Southwinds Church Online. Before we get into our study of God's Word today, Southwinds family, I want to celebrate you for your generosity. I want to say thank you. A few weeks ago, as 2020 ended, we had an opportunity to refinance our mortgage on our new auditorium and, and to save $100,000 a year for the next 10 years for a total of $1 million. But this opportunity required that we have as much capital on hand as possible. So I shared this opportunity with you and you responded. We had by far the greatest December giving in our history, over $50,000 more in one month than we've ever given before. Right now, we're, we're going through the process of seeking that refinancing. So I wanna encourage you, please keep praying. Please keep praying that God would grant us favor. And as soon as I have an update, I'll let you know. As we begin 2021, we are studying Isaiah 40, that magnificent chapter of Isaiah's majestic prophecy. Last week, we studied the first 11 verses and we learned how we can receive comfort from the Lord in 2021. This week, our focus is on the strength we need God to give us in 2021, and we need God's strength. I mean, if you believe the polls, most of us are afraid of this new year. Coming into 2021, surveys were saying that 50% of Americans feel afraid of 2021, and, and 66% of young adults were saying they feel afraid of the future. Numbers have never been that high. So our big question is, how can we find strength to face 2021 with confidence? As followers of Christ, we want to live with faith, not fear. And as we saw last week, positive thinking or what sometimes becomes toxic positivity, it just doesn't work. Sooner or later, we all run into a 2020 sort of circumstance. We, we face challenges too big for mere positive thinking. And so we need hope, hope that's greater than who we are. And we only find that kind of hope in God. Here's what that means in very practical terms. It's only through knowing God that you will find true strength and confidence to face the future. And I'm not talking about some surface acquaintance with some general facts about God. I'm talking about knowing him personally and deeply. I'm talking about learning who he really is, who he has revealed himself to be. And in fact, I, I'd put it this way, the more deeply I know God, the more strength and the more hope I can have for facing 2021. So how can I know God? The good news is God wants us to know him. That's why he's revealed himself to us in his word, the Bible. And that's why if we want to know God, we must read and reflect regularly on God's word. And that is exactly what Isaiah 40 is about. I told you last week that this chapter was written to people facing a bleak, uncertain future. They, they were exiled Israelites taken captive by Babylonian armies around 600 BC. And you might think of them as hearing God's word from Isaiah in chapter 40, maybe a few decades into what would become a 70 year exile. They were discouraged and they were depressed and they were hopeless, they were afraid of the future. And at the beginning of Isaiah 40, God spoke into their situation and God gave them comfort by revealing himself to them. And that's what we saw last week. And what we're going to see today in verses 12 through 31 is how God provides strength to those he comforts. In these verses, you will see some of the most stunningly beautiful language in all of the Bible. These verses are all about God's strength and power. 
Last week I told you that what we need more than anything is to behold God, to see God truly. And Isaiah 40 reveals God in all his majesty. And here's what he's telling us. He says, if you only knew God for who he is, and if you only saw God in his power and majesty, you would never be afraid of your future. In verses 12 through 31, Isaiah reveals God doing two wonderful things. First, he confronts us with his power. He shows us how big, how magnificent, how utterly beyond the grasp of our comprehension he is. But as great as God is, that's not all he does. Second, he lovingly renews us with his mercy. And when we get these two things, we will find strength. Why don't you write this down in your message notes? The first thing we see is that we are to behold the majestic God who confronts us with his power. Look at verses 12 through 14. God confronts us with this first. It's God's majesty in creation. Verse 12 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? I mean, mind-blowing questions. Isaiah asks, who can hold the oceans in his hand? And the answer is, only God. So let's try to wrap our minds around that. Just think about one ocean, the Pacific. Did you know that you could scrape off all the mountains? Think of the Sierras, the Rockies, the, the Andes, the Himalayas, and the Alps. I mean, think of also all the buildings and all the continents. You could scrape all of them off, all of them all over the earth into the ocean, dump all of that into the Pacific Ocean. And do you know what you would see peaking above the surface of the water? Nothing. The Pacific Ocean is that wide and that deep. And that's just one ocean. The oceans are vast beyond our comprehension. But Isaiah says, to God, that's just a drop of water in the palm of his hand. And then Isaiah goes even bigger. He, he takes it literally out of this world. He says, who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Now to get an idea of how the heavens measure... I want you to do something wherever you're at. I want you to snap your finger. Just go ahead and snap your finger with me. Just snap it again. Okay, now, now get this. In the time it took you to snap your fingers, if you were traveling at the speed of light, you could have circled the globe seven times. That's another seven. That's another seven. That's another seven. That, that's how fast the, the speed of light is, 186,000 miles a second. I want you to keep that in mind as I show you this. The American Museum of Natural History has a website where, where they visualize the known universe. And it's the most accurate picture you could possibly get of the measure of the heavens. Every planet, star, and galaxy represented a scale. And they start with the Himalayas, the largest land feature on Earth. They zoom out to show how in comparison to the rest of the Earth, those mountains are like wrinkles on a piece of paper. And then it just keeps zooming out until you see the whole earth. And then you, you look at all the artificial satellites orbiting the earth all the time so high that you can't see them. But compared to the vastness of space, their flight paths barely skim past the surface of the earth's atmosphere. Now, let's increase our speed to light speed. If you were traveling at light speed after one second, you'd see the orbital path of the moon. And then if you traveled at, one, at light speed for one whole hour, you'd barely get past Jupiter. 
you'd be able to see the orbits of the other planets. It would take you one whole day to be able to look back and see our solar system. And then you'd begin to see how the sun shone in comparison to other stars. And then traveling at light speed farther and farther. If you did nothing but spend your entire life and beyond traveling at light speed, in 100,000 years you'd reach the end of the Milky Way. In 100 million years you'd get to the end of the galaxies we've mapped so far and then to the black areas, the empty parts of the universe we've yet to map. And if you could keep going forever, eventually you get to what scientists call the end of our cosmic horizon in space, which includes light so mysterious, they call it light from the Big Bang. They don't even really know where it came from. You see, this is how massive the heavens are. Now look at that. What does that look like to you? To me, that looks kind of like a marble. And Isaiah is saying that's about what the measure of the universe is like to God, a, a marble that he holds in the palm of his hand. Isaiah is saying, think of anything you can imagine that's big. God is bigger. Think of the anxiety you face right now. Think of any fear you have. Think of all the world's problems. Think of COVID. Think of your own personal griefs and frustrations. God is bigger and he always will be. In fact, no matter what you could possibly imagine, that description is always true. God is bigger. And so that means he can help you no matter what you face in 2021. Here's the rest of verse 12. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Let's talk about that. The Bible says that he picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. So what's the weight of the earth? I looked it up. Technically in space, of course, the weight of the earth is zero because in space everything is weightless. But if you want to know how much everything on earth weighs on earth in earth gravity, uh, people with a lot of time on their hands apparently came up with this one. You get this many kilograms. And it's amazing, right? Six septillion kilograms. That's a six with 24 zeros after it. A lot of you are saying right now, well, what's it weigh in pounds? So I went to an online calculator, changed it into pounds, and here's what I got. It's over 13 septillion, 227 sextillion, 735 quintillion, 800 quadrillion pounds. And Isaiah says to God, that weighs as much as a grain of sand. He weighs the mountains. About nine years ago, I hiked up Half Dome, and when we were coming close to the summit around the other side, I had this crazy thought when I saw this view. I actually said it out loud. I wonder how much that weighs. God knows. He weighs all the mountains of the world like on a scale, like you were weighing some tomatoes at Safeway. Next, I want you to notice God's majestic wisdom. Look at verse 13. He says, Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Now, these are rhetorical questions. The answer is very obvious. No one has ever taught God anything. God has never said, Really? I never thought about that. God has never said, Oh, that's a new thought. Notice verse 14. More rhetorical questions. 
Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? You see, no one influences God. No one impacts God. No one teaches God. You say, well, you know, there's a lot of people in the world who don't really think very much about God. A lot of them don't even give a rip about God. What does God think of them? Well, listen to verses 15 through 17. We see in these verses God's majesty over the nations. Verse 15 says, Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. And God is pulling it all in perspective here. All the nations with all their power, just a drop in a bucket. Like you're carrying a bucket of water and a drop splashes out and you look down and it just disappears. That's America. That's Europe. That's Russia or China or Iran. Isaiah continues... They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Why don't you try this when you're at the, the meat counter at Rayleigh's? Just tell the butcher, I want you to wipe the dust off the scale before you weigh my food. I, I don't want to pay for any dust. And then take a picture of what he, what he looks like when he looks at you. Because he's thinking, you're crazy. You don't even bother with dust. It doesn't change anything. And, and Isaiah says, in comparison to God, that's all the nation's. Just like dust. Look at verse 15. It says, Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires. You ever hear the phrase, the cedars of Lebanon? If you were to have cut down all those trees, made a massive bonfire, it wouldn't have impressed God. It wouldn't have made an impact on him. Or, Or you could take all the animals of the world and just make this massive sacrifice. You know, get really, really religious. That's going to impress God big time. Isaiah says, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Again, God's answer to that is it's nothing. And I want you to be clear on this. The point of this is not that God doesn't care. The point is, if God cares for you and me, and he does care, it's because he chooses to. And I hope you can see how how liberating this is. It means I don't have to perform to get God to care for me. It's not about how much God likes me. God loves me and God likes me and God cares for me because of who he is. You know, our default mode as human beings is to think that God cares for us because of something of value in us. That's, that's how human relationships work. But the reality is that just denies our sinfulness. If God only cares for us because of who we are, then we end up having to lie to ourselves about who we really are in order to receive that care. I mean, isn't it great to know God loves you because he chose to set his love on you? That God doesn't love you because you're impressive to him? That God loves you because in his infinite grace, he chose to set his love on you. It's not about you, it's about him. And that is truth, friends, that sets you free. Maybe you say, well, don't I make any impact? Isaiah is taking things we understand, measures and spans and dust on scales, little things, then even things we think are big, like nations. And he's just saying all these things, when you put them together, well, you don't know how big and great God is if somehow you think that you're swaying the very heavens with all of your little things. Look at verse 17. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. I don't even think God reads the New York Times or watches Fox News. 
I mean, if he did, it wouldn't make any difference because nothing will stop God's unalterable purposes in this world. Do you see it? God is awesome. He is awesome. And his majesty and his mercy are all that we need. In verses 18 through 20, we see God's majesty over all idols. Look at verse 18. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? Well, God is incomparable. So how can we think we could make any image that would adequately represent him? I mean, this is actually the funniest part of Isaiah 40. In verse 9, he says, it's, it's ludicrous, so ludicrous that people make idols. This is what he writes. As for an idol, a craftsman cast it. It's kind of like, hey, Martha, going to get home a little late tonight. Got to make God. But this isn't any God, just any God. This is a 24 karat God. And then a goldsmith overlays it with gold and even has a silver chain, fashions silver chains for it. Wow, check out their God. They've got a gold God with a silver chain. Put him up on the mantle. You know, for those of you, like most of us, who, who don't live the lifestyles of the rich and famous, well, we just have to have the verse 20 God, if we make one. Verse 20 says, a man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. You know, you better get some good wood if you're going to make God out of wood. And he looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. And not just any carpenter, not just some guy, you know, who's like scale plus, plus a dollar. <laughs> a real craftsman. I'm going to have a great wooden God. My God will be so good it won't fall over. I mean, do you see the ludicrousness of that? And do you think that idols are just in primitive places, other parts of the world? Do you think that substituting for God only happens in those places? My career, my bank account, my investments, my future plans, my family, my health, my looks. See, all those things can become God to us. And sometimes we laugh at people we think are silly who go off into the forest and they make themselves a God, but then we just do the same thing, only in a more up-to-date way. See, Christians sometimes will cut through the scriptures and pick and choose and say, I like this part, I like that part, this is my God, that's not my God. You know, we need to be a church where we believe everything in God's word about who he is. We don't make God out to be something we want him to be, but we allow God to be who he tells us he is. And friends, I'm telling you, God is awesome. He's awesome. And his majesty is all that we need. Look at verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? Verse 22, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. And God compares mankind to grasshoppers and we worship, don't we? I mean, we pay hundreds of dollars to see the best athletes, musicians, performers. And, and God is just saying the most talented, most beautiful, most brilliant, the richest and most powerful, the greatest strategists, the greatest leaders. They're, they're just like insects in comparison to me. And the heavens, that, that just describes all that God has created in the universe. 
You know, I, I've tried for many years to find a better description of the vastness of the universe. And some of you uh, have heard this before. It's so clear. But I, I want to illustrate what we're talking about here. Do you have any idea about the size of the universe that God has spoken into existence? Here's one way to illustrate it. The distance from the earth to the sun is 93 million miles. And I want you to suppose that that distance can be represented by this piece of paper. Are you with me? This, the thickness of this piece of paper represents the distance from the earth to the sun. If this were the case, that means the distance to the nearest star from earth, well, that would be a stack of paper 71 feet high with every single piece of paper representing 93 million miles. The size of our galaxy, just our single galaxy, and there are millions upon millions of galaxies, well, that would be represented by a stack of paper 310 miles high, the distance from Tracy to about L.A. Every piece of paper in a 310-mile high stack representing 93 million miles. And that's just our galaxy. Think about this then, that the known universe, that would be a stack of paper 31 million miles high. Every single piece of paper, 93 million miles. Now, for those of you who like math, there are 10.4 million sheets of paper in a stack that's one mile high. Therefore, the known universe is 31 million miles of paper with each mile containing 10.4 million sheets of paper. And each sheet of paper, well, it represents 93 million miles. Is anybody getting a little foggy yet? And the Bible says... He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. It's like God, when he, he created all of that that I just tried so inadequately to describe to you, it's like he said, let's make the heavens now. And it was kind of like you setting up a camping tent. God is awesome. So take your problems and friends, all of our problems are small by comparison. Take your problems and bring those problems before the awesome majesty of God and see if that doesn't give you some perspective. Look at verse 23. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. I mean, look back through history. Whatever happened to Napoleon? I mean, didn't he die in exile on some island? Whatever happened to Hitler? I guess they never found his body. And what about Saddam? You know, when I moved to Tracy about 18 years ago, everyone was so worried about him, and he ended up hiding in a hole in the ground. And then just 20 years ago, Osama bin Laden led an attack on our nation, but he's gone, and one day Putin's going to be gone, and so will Xi Jinping, and so will all of our presidents, and all of our congressmen, and all of our Supreme Court justices. All of that in terms of its impact on God. Look at verse 24. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. God just blows on them and they're gone. In verse 25, God picks up the case himself, and now it's not Isaiah speaking, but God himself speaking. And, and this becomes really the whole point of all these verses we've been looking at. This is what it says, verse 25, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Verse 26, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. 
because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Now, in case we weren't feeling small and insignificant enough, God tells us to look at the stars. Astronomers tell us the average person can see two to 3,000 stars. The ancients with, with good eyes, six to 10,000. So take any spot on the sky, even one that seems devoid of stars, and aim a telescope there, and you will find thousands upon thousands of galaxies as far as you can see. The Milky Way galaxy that we call home has about 200 billion stars, and it's just one of an estimated 200 to 500 billion galaxies in the visible universe, and that makes the number of stars at least 4 million quintillion stars. That's a four followed by 21 zeros. Try to imagine 1 million quintillion of anything, and then imagine four of them. Like a vast military parade, God numbers all the stars. He has a name for each one of them. You know, I work hard every week to, to learn your names and to remember them. How many of you, you know how many kids you have, but sometimes you're not sure what their names are. Well, God numbers and God names the stars. So what's God saying here? Is, is he like bragging? Is God showing off? No. God wants us to see something about ourselves. The God who brings out the stars by number every night, who calls them all by name so that not one of them is missing, this God has made a promise to us about our third-rate little world that we live in. He has promised himself in all his glory. God confronts us with the majesty of his power to remind us of how much he loves us, how much he cares for us, how much he wants to be in a relationship with us. And that leads us right into the second way we need to behold God. Look at this. Write it down in your notes. Behold the majestic God who renews us with his mercy. Verse 27 says, why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? These Jewish exiles living in Babylon, ripped from their home, exiled for decades at this point, they were powerless, they were discouraged. They were saying, God's forgotten us. I mean, where is he when we really need him? And Isaiah is reminding his readers in Isaiah 40, that this great, transcendent, majestic God who creates and controls the entire universe, He knows you. He loves you. And He knows us all. And because He's so great, He can do that. He cares for us. So Isaiah is telling us, stop. Stop saying, my, my way is hidden from the Lord. Let, let's stop saying, my cause is disregarded by my God. You know, if something, if something wrong, if something evil if something terrible has happened to you and that calls out for justice, do not think for a moment that God didn't see that and that God doesn't keep a record of that. Do not think for a moment that he will not balance the books of justice one day. Now, it may not be on your timetable. It will always be ultimately on his. And you have to trust in that. Look at verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. You know, God's, God's never like, I just need a break from these people. God's never like, 
another day, another week. I don't know if I can make it. God isn't like us. I mean, you should just say that where you are right now as you're listening. God isn't like us. And aren't you glad? God never says, oh, that was a long day. I don't know if I'm ever going to get caught up. God never gets tired. His understanding is inscrutable. I mean, you couldn't understand his understanding if you spent your whole life trying to understand it. I mean, right now, I'm not even coming close to explaining this to you. Now, I want to make sure you understand something. Isaiah is not saying, and I'm not saying, that we can never have any doubts. No one lives with an unwavering faith. But Isaiah wants to make us think. He wants to help us to see that our doubts, when we have them, are ultimately irrational and unnecessary. He wants to help us regain our strength. Ray Ortland, in his commentary on Isaiah, writes these words. Isaiah understands that there are two kinds of doubt. One kind of doubt struggles to believe in view of the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. This kind of doubt is open to God's answers. It's willing to listen. The other kind of doubt resists belief. Even when good and sufficient reasons are offered, this kind of doubt folds its arms in defiance and says, nah, I still doubt it. And nothing you can say will satisfy me. That kind of doubt isn't even able to hear what God has to say. So it's okay to struggle and doubt sometimes. But always be willing to doubt your doubts. Do not make your feelings and your thoughts and your perspective the ultimate test of truth and reality. Even when you're doubting, keep reaching out to God in faith. And I'm telling you, when you do, God who is faithful, God who loves you, he will renew you with his mercy. Look at verse 29. It says, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. This is great news. You know, some of you are listening right now and you're just tired. You're saying, I'm spent. You're saying, I, I cried so much this week, I, I can't cry anymore. Maybe you're saying, I laid awake almost every night this week. You're saying, I'm burdened. I'm just weary and weak. Well, God, in his mercy, gives strength to the weary. When you're exhausted, when you don't think you can take another step, when you don't think you can get up another day, God knows it and God promises he will renew you with his mercy. Maybe some of you are hearing this and maybe you're thinking, well, I don't really need that. I have my own program and I know there's people like that, you know, weak people, but I don't need this. I have a plan. You guys can do your God thing if you want to, but I'm on my own program. I can handle that. And I'm telling you right now, if you think this, you are so wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. If you're saying, well, I have a career plan and I have an education. I've made smart investments. I exercise. I eat right. I'm good. Listen, you will never break God's back. But if you resist him, one day he will break yours. And you know, right now, I know in our church family, there are some people in their 40s and 50s who are listening to this and they would so like to just lay hold of you and say to you, would you just listen for a moment? Would you just repent while you still have a chance? Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you that God will get hold of your life. 
He always knows what is best for you and you will not deny his purposes. He is relentless. He does pursue us. And if you do not bow your knee before him, he will one day force you to your knees, either now or in eternity. Believe me, believe me, you want to choose now. So can we all just admit this together? It's what Isaiah tells us in the closing verses of this chapter, verses 30 and 31. Listen to these words, familiar words, beautiful words. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You see, everyone needs God. Everyone. Even the strongest, even the youngest. And the sooner you learn that, the less pain you will experience. You say, well, how do I get that strength? We see it in the last verse. It says you have to hope in the Lord. Now, a number of translations, maybe yours, say wait for the Lord. And it's really the same thing. It's really the same thing. Some of us hear this and we're like, wait, I don't have time to wait. I never wait for anything. If someone's five minutes late, I'm on to the next thing. And I'm telling you, Isaiah's telling you, that's not good. Because waiting is essential to hoping. Waiting is at the beating heart of faith. And willingness to wait means you believe something better is coming. Waiting means that you are trusting God to bring to you what is truly good. So you have to stop. You have to still your heart. You have to open his word, even in hard times. And you need to wait. Because when we hope in and when we wait for the Lord, that's when we find new strength. Sometimes God, he gives us wings like eagles. And sometimes he empowers us to fly above whatever is challenging us. Sometimes God just strengthens our legs and we just have to keep running while he renews us so we don't grow weary. We have to run through those things and those difficult seasons of life when you have to run. Normally, life is about walking, but sometimes you have to run. And, and, and when you have to run, God makes sure that you don't run out of steam. So you, you ask him for that strength. You trust him to give you whatever it is you need. But the truth is, most of the Christian life is a walk. Step after step, day after day, just walking. And the majestic God, the merciful God who created and controls the universe, who knows your name and your every step, he will walk with you every step of the way. So this year, Southwinds, as we are moving each day further into the uncertainties of 2021, will you behold your God? Will you behold him in all of his glorious power and incomprehensible wonder? Will you behold him in his infinite strength, that strength he wants to share with you, that strength he promises to supply you just when you need it most? That's our God. Behold him. He knows your name. He loves you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And you can trust him. Would you bow your heads with me? as we pray together, with our heads bowed, as we contemplate God's word speaking to us, God is saying to each one of us, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. God is saying, I will be with you. 
His word says that those who hope in him and wait for him, they will renew your strength. And so as your eyes are closed, heads bowed, I want to just ask you as you focus in, are you hoping in God? Will you wait for him? Will you trust him? Maybe for some of you for the very first time right now, you can pray and you can say, Lord, help me. I I place my trust fully in you. Who else can I trust, God? And Father, I receive the salvation you accomplished by your great power. The salvation your son Jesus won by his death on the cross. I repent of my sins. I place my trust in you, God, and I give you my life. I will follow you forever. Maybe those are the words you need to pray today. But maybe you've prayed those words before. Maybe you've been following God for some time. Maybe you need to pray, and maybe it's for the thousandth time in your life, something like this. God, please help me. Help me to trust in and and rely on and wait for your power this year, the power of your love. God, I give you my fears, my doubts. I look to you to supply my needs. Lord, I know that no matter what my problems are, you are bigger and you are greater. You are majestic and you are merciful. So help me, God, to behold you in 2021 like I never have before. I love you, Lord. And God, Heavenly Father, we pray all these things now in Jesus' name. And all God's people together, wherever you're listening, you say with me, Amen. Amen. I want to thank you for joining us today. We'll look forward to seeing you next week when we start a brand new study in Paul's letter to the Philippians. It's going to be a great time. I hope you'll be there. See you then. Have a blessed week.